The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC. On behalf of Brett McGarry and Loren McNabb, this is The Start On Demand. Let's get right down to business. It's The Start On Demand, starting now. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to the start. Mackling and McNabb with you. McGarry returns on Monday and Loren. It was a gorgeous afternoon yesterday, about four degrees. I was inside working on a project with a group of people and at three o'clock, there were only five of us, by the way, and we all had masks on. At three o'clock, everybody stopped to hear the announcement from the education minister with regard to the future of schooling in the province in and around the Christmas break. And we got an answer from Kelvin Gertson. Yeah, I was actually sitting outside my kid's school just waiting to pick them up. I went early and normally I do a walk at that time, right? And it was so nice yesterday and I was like, I can't believe it's so gorgeous out. And uh, I want to sit here and sit in my car just so I can retain it all. Yes, I know you can get it on the app and I could have kept walking. But I wanted to just make sure I was understanding it properly. And uh, I have to say I was, I was, I think surprised was the word for one. I thought for sure there was going to be a move to remote learning. So the fact that that's happening for some kids wasn't a surprise to me. I was thinking it was going to be for everyone. In fact, I had prepared my kids for the possibility that they would only have a couple more weeks less of school and then be home maybe for a month, right? Two weeks holiday and at least a couple weeks of remote learning. And so they got in the car and I said, guess what? You're staying in school. And they both were thrilled. Like they actually cheered um, because they're happy to be there because that's the only thing they really have to socialize right now. But man, there, anyone with a child in grade 7 to 12 right now, you're staying home for at least two weeks in January. If you have a kid that's younger than that, you have the option to keep them home, I suppose, for some remote learning if you wanted to instead mm-hmm. of sending them. And then there's that big question that we're going to get into at 637, Greg. Does anyone honestly believe it's just going to be two weeks? Well, I was surprised that it wasn't the two weeks leading up to Christmas and the two weeks after. That's what I had anticipated, just based on the way our numbers have continued to be high, even though they've stabilized somewhat, but the numbers are just far too high to be sustainable. And I thought that this would be sort of the last arrow in the quiver. Uh, uh, Jackie made this uh, commentary, I guess it was last week. She said, you know, I think they're for sure they're going to go after because not everybody's going to stay home. At Christmas time, people are going to get together and there's going to be a chance of numbers spiking after Christmas. And I think that's part of the rationale for uh, doing the two weeks after versus if you're doing one or the other, the two weeks in advance or the two weeks after. I think that's part of the rationale. Yeah, and I and I, I think that the, they mentioned yesterday that this there's a couple of things at play. One, that they know that there's that high school group that... Um, the older you are, the the more it's transmitted more easily, I suppose. So Had you ever heard that before? 
I well, that was why there was yes, because that was why that was the whole mask mandate for kids under ten versus kids over ten, and the fact that you know um, the transmission rates are different based on the age groups. And so, yeah, that wasn't a surprise to me. Yeah, I, I had that was the whole some of the rationale behind the mask conversation in the beginning, right? Why kids in yeah, high school fair enough, masks. fair enough. Yeah, you reminded me. I just wanted and to so, ask that. Well, well, there's been so much information, Greg, for everybody. Right, you're trying to remember. Have we heard this before? Mm-hmm. Is this new? What's the difference here? And so there's the there's the possibility that you know the older you are there's that transmission question and then they also raise the idea that in in the older age groups there's the propensity to get together more right you might leave class and then walk to i'm using my high school memories here walk to the 7-eleven together and get a slurpee and then hang out and and all those kinds of things right and so so whereas if you're younger than that you're going home you're not you might stop at the park maybe but you know so they're, they're worried that the high school kids get together more. But I think that your wife is bang on. I think people will still gather at Christmas, still have those dinners, maybe even go places. Oh, my word. And then come home and go to school. So now you're keeping at least half of those kids home. Well, we just got a text message. And I think a lot of people feel this way. I think uh, this is a divisive issue. I think uh, you have 50% in the middle or, uh, that are sort of 50% of us are sort of in the middle. But I think there are 25% of people who feel this way, like our listener just texted us at 780-6868. How can we not see that school is the reason for the spike? Shut it all down. And then there are people on the other side who say, keep the kids in school at all costs. And then, you know, it's it's an interesting topic for debate, but some things just aren't up for debate. We can have our feelings about it. We can have our assumptions. We can have our notions. But at the end of the day, it's the education minister in conjunction with and in consultation with the health authorities in our province deciding on what is the best way to go. Yeah. And I, you know, we're going to have a lot of conversations about this throughout the day. There, I think it, it really depends on how you're feeling about how your kid is doing too, right? In, in terms of how they might be doing in school. I think that's how fair. They, how they might be doing mentally, how they might be doing socially, how they might be doing, you know, with their health. If you're mm-hmm. very worried about their health, you might want them to stay home. If you're just worried about the fact that this is going to go on and on and on, you might just say, let's keep them home and see what happens. Uh, and then there's those who are really worried about the loss of learning. And want to make sure that the kids stay in school. Now, I will say this. I'd love to hear from any parent who's in the Hanover School Division right now because they've had remote learning now for all of last week and into this week because uh, the Steinbeck area, Hanover, went into level red for schools as of last Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand from parents I've spoken to, that the remote learning is far different than what it was in the spring. It isn't just this, you know, here's some stuff posted online will call you once in a while. It's very organized. It's structured. In some cases, some of the kids are online from 8.30 until 3.30 every single day with just some breaks in between. They're doing class projects online. They're doing group projects online. And so it really is far more learning than before. I'd love to hear from those parents because if that's how that's going to go, then you might have more confidence in this renewed remote learning. We had this discussion on Monday on the air, quite frankly, quite openly. We asked out loud, what is the difference between a jam-packed parking lot at Costco and at Springs Church, or any church for that matter? We had some notion, we had some ideas. We asked Dr. Rusin about that collectively. He had his answer. And I guess the bottom line for me is, those are the rules right now. It's a public health emergency, 
and those are the rules that have been put, put in place. And if you disagree with them, go to court. But why break the rules and then go to court? Why didn't you go to court last Thursday about it? We have interviewed all sorts of businesses who feel that the restrictions that are have been put in place don't make a lot of sense, that there are some ways that their operations could modify the way they do their business that would be well within normal public, public health restrictions. And they've asked to have conversations about that. How do we fix that? We've interviewed restaurants who were closed in the first wave of code code red restrictions who had liquor license issues that restricted them from doing other things that their competition, their neighbors, people doing almost, almost, if not exactly the same thing from doing what they were doing, but they didn't open and just do things. Well, I think I'm doing it. Okay. I think I should be able to, there are processes here when you feel you've, you've been wronged. And I agree with those processes, but to openly flout these public health orders, I I don't know why you would, why you would want to do that in good conscience. Well, here's what Brad had to say in a text. He wrote in to say, it's bigger than faith-based. It's a restriction of movement. The government is saying that it is safe to sit in your car in some parking lots and not others. If that is allowed, what is to stop the government from saying what public places you can walk in, how far from home or work you can travel? Restrictions and regulations should have practical reason behind them and consistency in their application. And that's from Brad. He's arguing about why the application is happening in court today. You're just saying, why not? Why didn't they go to court before? I'm saying these are the public health orders. You can have a disagreement. You can query. You can wonder. You can have your opinion on them. But, you know, just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean you disobey them. You know, I I know there are a lot of people out there that think the 30 kilometer an hour school zones are a little bit of a joke. But, you know, I hope that those people respect the 30 kilometer an hour school zones when they're driving through them and don't just drive 50 because they think it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You well, know, it goes they- back to all sorts of laws that get introduced. Well, this you know, is a- it. A year ago, I remember we even talked about big changes to impaired driving laws and drunk driving laws. And a lot of lawyers came on saying, you know, we're going to file a constitutional challenge against this for A, B, and C. I'd like to think there weren't people going out and testing that law first before the challenge was filed, right? That's it's not, about, in my it's opinion, about, that's not the way to go about it. Right. right. So, well, we, we have asked the lawyer for Springs Church to speak with us. Uh, that request was denied at the time because they were still waiting to hear back from the province. If we can get them on, we will. In the meantime, that proceeding for the stay of proceedings begins at 9.30, Greg. Uh, to start this half hour, though, we got it. We have to talk about education because everybody that has kids, and even those that don't have kids in the school system, I think we were discussing this yesterday. Officials said days ago that a shift to more remote learning in the new year was likely, but now that we know it's happening for at least half of Manitoba's uh, students, we want to know how you're feeling about this this morning. Yeah, so as we did learn yesterday, students from grades 7 to 12 will be staying home for the first two weeks in January. In-class learning is still being provided for kids in kindergarten to grade 6, but there are also remote learning options for that age group if parents want. So now decisions have to be made. If your kid falls into the younger age group, are you still going to send them to school? Are you keeping them home? How do you think that's going to work for them? And if they're in those grades 7 to 12 group, are you good with them being at home, potentially alone, if you're, or if you're working out of mm-hmm. home for two weeks. And Greg, my question, of course, is how many people actually think this is just going to be 
for two weeks? Well, I think that's a, a gigantic question, uh, and certainly we don't know the answer to that. If you're looking into a crystal ball and you're asking for my prediction, my prediction would be that it ends up being longer than that, but I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong many times again. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be such a personal experience. And when I mean personal, your family experience, it just varies. I have two kids. I, uh, most of you know I have twin boys. And uh, one of my boys, no problem with the distance learning. He's independent in the way he approaches his schoolwork. He misses his friends, but it doesn't interfere with him learning. In my estimation, he gets his assignments done on time. He does good quality work. And uh, that doesn't change, didn't change in March with the remote learning. He's got a couple of remote learning classes in high school right now. Whereas one of my other, my other kid is the exact opposite. He needs that interaction at school. He needs to have that resource of the teacher handy. It's just the way his his mind works a little bit different. He's socially uh, just a little bit different. He learns differently. So this could potentially be a disaster for him. And of course, you know, uh, the hours that I work, I'm fortunate enough, I can be home by 10.30, 10.45. But there is a chance when I get home at 10.30 or 10.45 or 11 o'clock, he's still in bed. And that's the approach a lot of kids took in March. And as I understand it, that's the approach a lot of kids that are in this modified learning right now, if they're in the middle middle of it, are treating it. So uh, it's, like I say, going to be a very uh, different experience depending on your household. And depending on how your school has you set up. We've already heard from some listeners this morning in the Hanover School Division, for example, on how it's been going for them because they switched to remote learning uh, about... 10 days ago, last Tuesday it was. And so we had one listener text in to say that they were in the Hanover School Division and for one kid it's going really well and for the other it's not. And that's in part because one of the teachers is being dedicated to just teach one of the children remote learning and the other teacher is having to split their time because they don't have the extra staff to do the online and in class. And so there they are in class trying to do a bit of the in-class learning and a bit of the remote learning. And so I think it's going to depend on on how the divisions have their teachers set up. I know in our school division, a survey went out asking if you were an essential worker and therefore would your kid be coming to school if they shifted to remote learning. And then they put out a warning saying, if you choose remote learning, please know we are working on having specific remote learning teachers. Mm. So you might not have the teacher that you have right now. And they're doing that because they're trying to take some of the burden off teachers and have one teacher do just the online and one teacher do the in-class stuff. If you're a teacher who now has to split your time between both those things, that's a lot of stress. So I'd love to hear from teachers this morning, 780-6868 from parents with your concerns. Let us know what you're thinking and feeling about this and and how you hope it's going to go as we head into this remote learning world January. Yeah, and I know that was a fear for a lot of teachers is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be in class and then I'm going to have to deal with the remote on the other side. Uh, If this comes to fruition, the notion of having an online teacher, a remote teacher and an in class teacher, I think that's the way it ought to work. And and if that's what ends up happening, then it was probably worth the wait to get to this point. As we know, times are very different in 2020 right now. That holiday mall job that you might have been counting on for some extra cash or, by, I mean, I know 
how many of you have been laid off and man does my heart and our hearts go out to anyone who's lost their job in this pandemic but uh, it's changed uh, the whole nature of the economy the whole nature of the way we are growing up and the way things are are going right now whether you're a teenager whether you're uh, 90 years old, all age groups are being affected by this pandemic. But we did want to look back and at the same time talk about some of those of our favorite ways we made money in the past. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, along with Kelly Moore, Jeff Forche and Jeff Braun. And Jeff, I don't know about you, but a side hustle or maybe the part-time job, you get a call from your buddy's dad, he needs something done, sometimes happened at the most opportune times. What's some of the craziest ways you made extra cash? Which Jeff are you talking to? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Oh, sorry, Braun. <laughs> sorry, I, sorry, Jeff Braun. Oh, hi. Um, for me, the, the favorite uh, part-time job I ever had was it was just over, was might have been close to a year I had it in high school, and it was just working at my friend's dad's car wash. And it was mostly all I had to do was make change for people and then, you know, take out the, the, the pressure washer wand and clean up the floor after like big dirty semis went through or whatever and left a lot of mud or whatever. So I was just cleaning out the bays, making change. It was the most relaxing job I've ever had. And, uh, you know, it always sounds like it's raining in the car wash. It's kind of nice. <laughs> Very relaxing. Okay. Now the other Jeff, Jeff Forche. Well, before I started working here, uh, after I did my internship, I uh, moved or came back to Winnipeg and uh, ended up working at Toys R Us. And then I also worked at a beer vendor. And you know what? The beer vendor was actually quite a bit of fun. You, you know, you Kind of hung around, talked to people. There was a TV. Got to hang out there, watch TV. But the craziest part was the vendor that I worked at was one of the ones where the customer goes and grabs the beer off the shelf and brings it to me. And I don't know how, but, like, each night I would take, like, 30, 40, 50 bucks in tips. I didn't do anything. At the vendor? At the vendor. That's amazing. It was awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that would, that would be my... Uh, Favorite little hustle, I, I guess. I guarantee you that neither Kelly Moore nor I ever tipped you there, Fortune. Oh, I, I know. Because you don't believe in tipping? <laughs> I, 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 gave, I gave Forche a tip. I told him not to stand up in a canoe or eat yellow oh, snow. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. From a former server, those are not funny. Uh, Kelly Moore, what about you? <laughs> uh, actually, way back in the day, and before Bronze says, how far back? Uh, one of my favorite seasonal jobs of this time of the year was working on a Christmas tree farm. Um, our English teacher, uh, where I grew up in the Fraser Valley, had a, uh, a Christmas tree farm. And, it, you know, it, it was it, because there, there wasn't a lot of snow, but it was always wet and, and on the colder side. So you came home just caked in mud because you were uh, tracking through the field and, uh, uh, hauling trees back for customers and that sort of thing. But uh, just loved it because everybody was usually in a pretty good mood. There weren't too many people that got into fights over which tree they were going to pick. So, yeah, that was, a, that, that, that was a good job. It only would last about three or four weekends a year, but uh, it, it was it was good money and didn't get the same kind of tips that Forche got, though. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, uh, did you tie the tree or put it in the trunk for people? Did you go the extra mile, like to... To earn the tips, though, Kelly. Well, you know what? It's one of those things, GMAC, where, you know, some people would say, you know what? Get it to the car. We'll take care of it there. 
you know, because they didn't trust this acne pimple kid, <laughs> you know, uh, trying to uh, put a tree in uh, in the hatch or or scratch the the roof of their car. Fair but enough. if someone if someone did ask, uh, you know, then uh, absolutely uh, you would. But we were even told by the guy that ran the the tree farm, he said, you know what, don't don't try to put put it in anybody's vehicle unless they ask you to. So. Okay, all right. I like the clarification. What about you, Loren? Oh. You know, I feel for all these people this time of year because one of the best ways we know you worked in the service industry. I had several jobs waitressing at different places over the years. And so that's we pick up extra shifts at this time of year and there's no in room dining right now. So I just feel for those restaurants and those students that might have been trying to make some extra cash at this time. But when I was in university, I took this job in my second year. I had three jobs in my second year of university trying to just pay the tuition and all the rest. And I applied as a long shot to uh, this program that was looking for kind of ELS, like English as a second language to go into some of the schools and help new Canadian kids uh, learn English that had come from French speaking countries. And I don't know how, because I did an interview, I got the job barely speaking French and it paid so well. And I get into this class and it's very clear that I don't deserve to be there. Shouldn't be there. Can't teach these kids anything until one of the girls says in French, do you like the Backstreet Boys, and I, we Boku, and that's what we did. We listened to the Backstreet Boys or sang it for several classes, and they learned a bit of English, and I learned a bit of French, and I should have been fired, but man, did it pay well. Made no sense, but it was a great job. My next guest, or our next guest, sorry, Loren, uh, I've I've known our next guest for some time, and we share a common love of Van Halen. He likes this version. I like the other version. So we're playing this on his behalf as the Manitoba government is instituting two weeks of remote learning for students in grades 7 through 12 following the holiday break in an effort to prevent COVID-19 cases, while remote learning for kindergarten to grade 6 will be optional. If you're a teacher, it's a big shift. Early years teachers are being asked to teach in class and online, or perhaps not, right, Loren, depending on uh, how quickly they can uh, get things uh, sorted out. What will it look like for them? And this will obviously be a quandary for many parents. Do I keep my early years children home? I have to work. How do I ensure my high school student is staying on task? Lots of questions. Yeah, and of course questions around the availability of technology. That's another concern for many households with school-aid children. And of course, the idea of just how do we support the kids when we are not teachers ourselves? I think we all learned the hard way in the spring. We are not teachers. Will Penner is a teacher. He's also the founder of Mathopoly, which is a math-based board game, which helps kids develop their number skills in a fun way. And he joins us now. Good morning, Will. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're good. I have to ask how you're feeling this morning now that we kind of know at least how the next few months are going to shake out. Um, well, to be honest, yesterday was a bit of a it was a bit of a hard night. I mean, I think all of us were were anticipating some sort of an announcement uh, today, actually, and then it got moved to yesterday, so we didn't know what was going to be said. And and then um, uh, yeah, we went home after hearing it all as a staff, and um, kind of just had to uh, take it all in and, and figure out what we were going to do. So in, with regards to technology, is that one of the, the big barriers for students, for parents at this point in time? We hear all the time from listeners who say, you know, this online thing, I understand why they're doing it, but we just don't have the technology at home. 
Yeah, you know, that was one of the things that was brought up already in spring when we went through this the first time. And I know that our division, the division that I work in, River East Transcona, uh, we've done four separate rollouts for students who need technology. So there are students um, who have been given a laptop or iPads um, so that they have the technology even for school use in school right now. And then if we did happen to go remote at some point, they would have a piece of technology that they could still follow along uh, with us as a class. Has so that made a difference that way? Yeah, I was going to say, has that made a difference? I know it's the same situation in our school division in the spring. You know, you're suddenly on this thing called Teams. You have no idea what you're right. doing as a parent. And someone says, send a Flipgrid video. And I was like, oh, I'll flip you something, all right? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so, uh, you, you know, know parents too struggled, right? Because it wasn't just about the kids. It's like, I don't want to be sending an email to the teacher saying, sorry, but uh, I don't even know how to log on here, right? Right. Yeah. No, I think I think all divisions and I, again, I can only speak for our division, but I think all divisions have done a great job in, um, you know, getting teachers up to up to snuff on, on how to use teams properly and how to use it efficiently. And then also taking the time during class time right now to make sure that students can log on properly. Students can find an assignment. Students can hand in an assignment. Students can open certain documents. So I think we've we've done our legwork like at the beginning here, so that if it was going to go into a code red situation, we would have uh, a really good understanding on how this could work a lot better than it did in spring. And I, I know maybe I shouldn't say that, but I don't think it was very efficient in spring. And I think now we have a much greater grasp on it. But what you touched on, Lorraine, is is something sort of important. I, I believe that that parents should still reach out to teachers. You know, I don't think this remote learning is okay. Now we're shut off from from any you know contact with the, the uh, my child's teacher or administration or an EA or anybody in the school system there that that comes across the education of your child. I think it's really important to still maintain an open dialogue with a teacher if you have issues, if it's tech-wise or if it has to do with an assignment. Well, two points uh, really quick. The teachers, uh, in my estimation, have been incredible. Mm -hmm. We had a Zoom meeting with one of our kids' teachers at 10.30 in the morning Saturday, okay, (laughs) because uh, something we needed to get clarified, and uh, that teacher is absolutely incredible, and I know there are other teachers who would never do that. I know lots of them who would. And then on the other side is that discrepancy in the technology, and just with regards to Microsoft 365, the version, as an example, of Excel might not have all the functionality in 365 as it has on your desktop version, so there are some of those bridges to, to gap even when you're in the middle of it and you're kind of tech savvy yeah no i mean there's going to be hiccups along the way for sure you know i know that there's a there's the desktop version and there's the web version of teams as well that 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 has hiccups and there's hiccups with how many students you can have in a call at a time on a certain chat and um you know these are all things that we are you know we we teach from 9 to three thirty, and then we, we we deal with technology from the time we get home to the time we go to bed sometimes just to try and figure out, you know, let's make sure there are no huge hiccups. But again, if there are, we can hopefully talk through it with um, either the child, him, him or herself, or the parent as well, or the school division, right? The school division has an IT program and, and they're willing to help also, and they're working their tails off as well. 
So as we move forward with this, Will, and, and thank you for being that person that's, you know, responding to emails um, from parents and all the rest into the night. I can only say in our experience, too, our teachers have been doing the exact same thing. Right into the night, they'll respond to emails. They'll phone you well after their work hours. Our teachers have been incredible. Our school division has been incredible. The work has been, I can only imagine, probably the most stressful time of maybe of your life. I don't want to put words into your mouth, <laughs> Will, but this, this hasn't been easy, right. I know. And so as we move forward, what's your advice to other teachers and to, and to parents as how we can best help our kids? Uh, well, I think I'm going into the break. I think teachers, first of all, and I'm speaking for myself as well, I, I think we do need to just decompress. Uh, you know, I, I know that teachers think that they're going to be spending or they need to spend, you know, their, their holiday break prepping. And I know a lot of us will. For sure we will. But I think there's a time when we do need to decompress and take a few days and just do nothing and, and, and focus on our families, focus on our friends and things like that. Um, but for parents, um, I would, I would definitely designate a workspace in your, in your home, your apartment, your condo, wherever you, your child is going to be designate a workspace. Um, you know, have, have the laptop there, have the, the iPad there, have whatever technology they're going to use, have a workspace for them to use with their binders and their, their pens and pencils, and um, and then follow a schedule. I think that was the biggest thing that was sort of lacking in spring was that, you know, we're we're doing one to two hours maybe a day um, on on Teams or on Zoom or whatever it might be, but we weren't following a, a great schedule for the for the child. Like some kids were sleeping till eleven thirty, and then they would check their Zoom at two o'clock, and then they would start emailing you at six. You know, following a schedule like you would every ever every other day for school is, I think, is vital, um, not only for, for the learning aspect and getting in contact with the teachers, but also for your sleep habits and, and making sure that you are, you are, you know, awake and, and ready to learn during those, those school hours that you're used to or have been used to. It's not a day off. That's the message in our house. It's a distance learning day. Will Penner, uh, we'll have to bring you back and get some more advice from you on how to help keep our kids engaged, uh, not only leading into the Christmas break, over the Christmas break, and, of course, during this remote learning time. We always appreciate your insight, friend. Hey, thanks, no problem. And, Greg, thanks for the song, buddy. Uh, Any time. Now, Loren, I have a question for you. Is this place the largest community from which you could conceivably walk to either Saskatchewan or North, North Dakota? Ooh, I depend if Pearson is bigger than Lalton, but you could definitely, it's got to be the closest to Saskatchewan and not far from North Dakota as well. So I want to say yes, but maybe we should ask our guests. We welcome to the start this morning, Andrea Angus. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning. And of course, of course, Troy Angus. Good morning, Troy. Good morning. So we'll ask you first about the Den Authentic Barnwood and the Den Designs that you're a part of in a moment. But from first, just in case for folks who don't know, and I actually hadn't been to Pearson until a few years ago when your community went through all that flooding in 2014. If I'm coming from Winnipeg, how do I get there, Troy? Yeah, well, that's a good question. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of people asking that question these days. But for for Pearson to Winnipeg, like, you know, it's a small town, big heart kind of place. And it is nestled in the southwest corner of our province. It's a short, scenic, four-hour drive southwest of Winnipeg. And, you know, if you guys are ever coming down to visit us, I recommend you pack a lunch. 
What way would you come? Would you take uh, seventy-five to three and across? Like, how how would you come or come if you were coming from Winnipeg or if you wanted to do the reverse? What's what's the prettiest way to go? Um, I don't know. I think I'd just make the whole loop. If I was in a hurry, I'd take number one straight down to Burden and head straight south. Or uh, maybe on the way home, I'd take number two and I'd sneak down on the south side of Manitoba and straight up into Winnipeg. I like so, Andrew, a couple of questions. How long have you lived there? But And then how long have you and Troy been married? Oh, we have been here for nine years now. Um, we got married in 20, oh my word, 2017. <laughs> um, and two years ago is when we made that decision, though, to turn our side hustles into our full-time ventures. And that's when we really started to work with the benefits of living in this rural community. Andrew, we were trying to keep the questions easy to start. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that you love about that part of the province? And where were you guys from previously? You know, like Andrew said, we've been here for nine years now. But, you know, we're both from Manitoba. Andrea was born and raised in Brandon and myself just down the road uh, in Verdon, Manitoba. So coming down to the southwest corner really isn't a whole huge change for us. But there are a few things that we really do enjoy about living in this in this part of the in, in this part. And, you know, some of those advantages include that almighty thing that is almost a thing of the past and from days gone by. And that's, you know, where you know your neighbor, your next door neighbor. And in fact, you know, your neighbors all the way down the street and around the corner, you know, like the kids are encouraged to play tag in town or a, or a town-wide game of hide-and-seek. So it's really that that community spirit and, and that watchful eye of our community is, is a huge plus for living down in these, these smaller areas. Mm. It's why I grew up in a small town, Troy, and I, and I live in one now, so I can go to my neighbor for that egg or thing of butter if I need it or whatever needs to get done, right? And it's nice for that, but it's also nice because your neighbor is champion for you. And so, Andrea, you mentioned there was a side hustle. Tell us what the side hustle was and how that turned into a full-time business. Uh, well, um, since we are a husband and wife team, um, and each of us with our separate businesses, we've been able to combine those to take advantage of our strengths uh, to provide top shelf experience for our customers. So uh, Troy, Troy's expertise is the Den Authentic Barnwood, and that's where we specialize in reclaiming authentic barnwood from our rural resources, turning it around, adding value to it, and making use of what was once considered waste. So these abandoned buildings are scattered across our landscape, and they offer a historic tie to our past. Uh, we salvage the wood, reclaim it, and repurpose these materials into homes and offices as feature walls and accompanying decor products. Then I step in with my graphic design background, and I operate the Den Designs, which is our custom clothing venture. Uh, this is where we saw an opportunity to help steer people away from ordering mass-produced products that are often from overseas and of poor quality. So everything we do is custom. And we found that offering a custom service to our clients allowed for a dialogue and opportunity to create relationships with our customers on a more personal level. So we produce our clothing for individuals, groups, teams, and businesses, um, and working together as much as possible to push our creative abilities to a new level. Um, although being husband and wife team, we don't always see eye to eye on the small <laughs> things, but we can definitely agree that we love what we do. 
Well, I'm on the Facebook page for the Den Authentic Barnwood and Troy. You've got some serious skills, my friend, obviously, and it says this right on the Facebook page. You're not installing anything right now, but before we let you run, if I'm interested in acquiring some of this reclaimed barnwood, uh, I understand you'll ship it to me, whether I'm in Winnipeg, whether I'm in San Diego or Miami, Florida. Yeah, no, that's correct. We'll we'll get it to you for your weekend project if you know you're looking for something to do because maybe your regular your regular hockey game or something is cancelled. You know what I mean? So how do we reach out? How do we get your stuff? Uh, well, as you yeah. said, you can find us. Oh, sorry, Troy, you go ahead. <laughs> oh no, go ahead, Andrea. It's all yours. Uh, well, as you said, you can find us on Facebook, uh, the Den Authentic Barnwood. Uh, the Den Designs is on Instagram at Andrea Den Designs. And in the new year, we're also going to be launching our online store at dendesigns.ca. Fantastic. Thanks for this, Andrea. Thanks for this, Troy. Good luck. And uh, keep us posted on how things are going. Will do. Thank you so much for having us. All right. There we go. Pearson, Manitoba. You've uh, been a long time coming for you to visit there, Loren, and I guess you didn't know when you'd be back. We took you there virtually today. Yeah, I love it. It's a beautiful part of the province. It is a great drive down there. It takes you through twists and turns and different valleys. And again, it's really cool what they're doing. That barnwood is so popular, the Den Barnwood uh, for your home decor. So it's kind of neat that they're reclaiming some of the stuff that otherwise might be considered junk and uh, neat to see. On Wednesdays is usually when we hear from our next guest, but we missed Hal Anderson yesterday. He made up for it by showing up this morning. Good morning, Hal. Hey, guys. Sorry about yesterday. Yeah, I don't know if don't you heard apologize. on my show. Don't apologize. I don't apologize. Know if you heard, I don't know if you heard on my show yesterday, but I had to uh, arrange for the delivery of a treadmill uh, yesterday. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good yes. for you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and here's and I've got it right in the living room, <laughs> which Jackie's not happy about. But I have uh, convinced myself, and we'll see how long it lasts, I've convinced myself that I can only watch my news of any kind when I'm on the treadmill. And not just standing on it. I've got to be moving on the treadmill. So. <laughs> okay, so that, that uh, the track we'll has to be in motion and yes, your feet and right. legs and knees yes. must also be in motion. And I need to be causing the motion. Okay. And Hal, treadmill. you watch a lot of news, so that could add up I to do. some serious treadmill time. Well, listen, either the show's going to suffer because I don't know what's going on, or <laughs> so we'll know really quick. <laughs> yeah, you'll know real fast what's going on at, at my house. Hey, um, I just wanted to quickly uh, mention we we got our tree from um, uh, Ron Paul from Ray Dubois up the street here at Ron Paul Garden Center, and I see that Home Depot now. I have not checked to see if Home Depot in Canada is selling this, but have you heard about this Christmas tree they're selling uh, at HD in the states? It actually snows. It literally the tree snows creates snow. And it plays music. I mean, this yes. is how elaborate these things are getting. Hold I'm on. looking this up right now. That's amazing. Yep. I know. Uh, it comes in classic green, or you can get uh, shades of black. The artificial snow <laughs> works this way. Shades uh, of is... black? Yeah. 
I guess. I, listen, it's all about, and I'm going to get to a, a new uh, decorating trend in a moment, but it's all about, you know, how it looks, right? I mean, you know, some people are traditionalists and others <laughs> others aren't. But anyhow, this thing, it blows snow through the center, yeah. and the snow falls on the branches. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? And uh, then it collects in the umbrella base of the tree to be reused again. I'm looking at this thing. This is ridiculous. So you don't have to vacuum it up or anything, right? If it's in, if it's in the living room, and there are built-in speakers at the base of the tree, and the speakers play 25 popular holiday tunes, including Jingle Bells, "We Wish You a Merry Christmas," and many others. So there this you go. Christmas is, is going high tech. It's ugly only because it has this umbrella at the bottom that catches the snow. I'm guess I'm yeah. guessing it's like a fountain that would then right. shoot yeah. the snow back to the top and then catch the snow as it falls again. I'm mm-hmm. I. I don't, I don't like it, but I got to say I'd be willing to give that a shot. It's kind of yeah. funny. Home Depot, I don't know if they got it here or not, but but it's definitely at Home Depot in the States. Hal, I, I don't know about you. I'm looking at this thing already. I'm thinking, okay, but let's buy into this concept. But uh-huh. why is the umbrella collecting the white snow green? Why isn't it white? Yeah. So why And why haven't they done a better job in trying to masquerade or, or to hide this a little bit, camouflage it somewhat? Mm. Yeah, good point. Anyhow, I I don't know. Um, yeah, just you, don't agree, there. you don't agree with me. Well, no, no. I I just I love a real tree, and we've got a real tree now in our living yeah. room, and we're excited to have okay. a real tree. Right. I, I'm nothing against people that have have artificial trees. I understand the benefits, the pros, and the, there are pros and cons to both. Mm-hmm. That's just me. I thought it was interesting that technology has really, uh, you know, taken over even the Christmas tree. Uh, here in in 2020. Okay, got it, got it. You well talk played. a lot about uh, holiday movies, uh, Mackling, and I get a kick out of it. You know what's at the heart? Why do Why do you think you enjoy holiday movies so much? Yeah. Any idea? I don't know. I think it's it's all my mom's fault. My mom loved Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then when my mom passed away for a few years, Christmas was really not the same for me. I was sort of yeah. a, a Scrooge. And now I've found my Christmas spirit again. And so maybe I'm just making up for lost time. Well, they've done the research. And here's it's all about happiness. These movies make us feel happy. Here's what the experts say. We feel positive emotions when we respond to humor, romance, a beautiful location, appealing actors, or a satisfying ending. Holiday movies can also create a more profound sense of meaning by restoring hope and the promise of social connection, love, and purpose. The message is that no matter how convoluted the plot of these movies, we go along for the ride, we suspend disbelief, and we revel in the simplicity It is all about happiness. And I think right now, and I wrote about this, uh, uh, there's a hope deficit right now with this pandemic and and the virus. And Christmas brings us hope. And so I think that's why we we turn to these movies. I don't normally watch holiday movies. We watched the new Kristen Stewart movie uh, the other night called uh, Happiest Season. And it's very good. Mary Steenburgen's in that too. And I'm not usually into it, but you know what? An hour and a half later, I was like, I'm so glad we watched that movie. I think it's about hope and happiness. And, and you know, I think, too, is often we turn to movies and, and plays and whatever is for a thrill, right? And mm-hmm. right now, if you're if you're tuning into traditional television, it can be pretty bleak, right? Like, there's all yep. sorts of shows right now that are showing things in real time where the shows are actually talking about the pandemic or talking about uh, other big issues. And you're like, wait a minute, like, I just wanted to escape from mm-hmm. that for an hour. And so if you can suspend your your 
your, the reality for a bit and like dabble in some cheesiness. Something about yep. this time of year, Hal. I'll take all the cheese I can get. Those Me movies, too. those movies are sort of like a family gathering, Hal. You don't yep. really want to go. You get dragged, kicking and screaming, and then you get home. And you go, oh, that wasn't so bad after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thought, one more quick one here, and, and I think maybe we'll do, I'll do more on this today on my show, but I think we may do more as a station on this. Uh, Christmas parties, right? Uh, the office party is coming up. We normally have ours uh, the first or second week of December. Probably tomorrow uh, night. I, I haven't, right, I haven't heard a thing. I don't know what we're doing, but some companies are getting pretty, pretty creative. Big companies like PayPal, for example. PayPal is hosting a 29-hour virtual party where employees can drop in whenever they want, and they're dividing it into eight different destinations. I mean, this is a big company, right? Workers right across the world. And they're breaking it up into eight destinations, and then site leaders from across the world are responsible for arranging virtual entertainment during their designated time, and then people drop in and, and check it out. And So that's kind of cool. Other companies... They're simply uh, paying for their employees to order in dinner for the family. I thought that was kind of a That's good, a simple cool way. Idea. I like yeah. that. And you're supporting restaurants at the same time. Another one, uh, companies are sending out secret Santa gifts in the mail directly to the workers' homes. And then other companies are sending DIY. This is a good one here. They're sending DIY cocktail kits out to workers and uh, and uh, hosting virtual trivia games so that employees can win prizes. So I'd be curious to hear, Hal at CGOB.com, what are you doing for your office Christmas party? Is there just not going to be one or are you getting creative? I want to hear your creative ideas and I throw those ideas out to be considered. I absolutely the, love the notion of uh, sending out the cocktail kits because yeah. for so many years... Companies have been a little apprehensive about the notion of even serving alcohol at their now Christmas you're at parties. Home. Now you're at home. They don't need to worry right. about it. Yeah, no need yeah. for the taxi slips or anything like that. I also would be curious to know from people, because I've actually thought about this in the recent weeks. I was like, I should organize a, a call for all of us staff members. Not a staff meeting, but like a Friday night mm-hmm. cocktail call. Yeah, Because up. I haven't seen everybody Mm. In months, right? And then part of me was like, that'd be so great to get everyone together. And then the other half was like, does anybody really want to do another Zoom call or Mm. meeting? Right? You're kind of sick of them. So uh, I think the concept of bringing people together, but maybe with a twist, with a gift, if you're a company that can afford to do that right now, I would say get on it. Because your people are feeling they need I'd love to come to your virtual party or Zoom party or whatever you're going to call it. We'll do it one Friday night, but give me a couple of weeks on the treadmill first, okay? Because I got I got a few things I got to deal with before I I show my show my face in public. And can I just say your rink, Loren? Uh-huh. Uh, you will have plenty of time for an outdoor rink. Right now, it's a swimming pool. Do some sun tanning. <laughs> <laughs> Pour a drink, enjoy it. You will have lots of time for skating. So people that are complaining about where's yep. winter, I yep. am happy to have this weather for as many hey. more days as we can get it. I absolutely hear you. It's going to be a long haul. We know that, right? Something about yes. December. You want the snow and you want the brisk feeling because it's Christmas time. But if we're going to be in our homes for this this winter, like it feels like we might be for so long, then mm-hmm. yes, let's enjoy the mild temperatures. And Hal, I'll do you one better on the office Zoom Christmas party to organize. Okay. I'll stage it late, only if you join us from the treadmill. Okay, sure. Yes. I already made that offer to Lisa Dutton. I told her I would do Ooh. a live hit on uh, global uh, news television. A walk and talk. At 6 o'clock. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> in TV it's called a walk and talk. Yes. I will do a treadmill and talk. That's what I'll do. You're doing your Rick Mercer thing. 
Yes. Just on a treadmill. Right. I like it. Yeah. Hey, Hal, uh, we're going to let you run here, but Thanks, one of our, guys. one of our, oh, hang tight, hang it okay. tight. One of our listeners needs some information from you. Okay. This is the text message. Hey, this question is for Hal. He mentioned last week a movie that was filmed in Winnipeg and had the guy who made mm. it on. What was the name of that movie? Please Winni- and thank you. Winnipeg filmmaker Sean Garrity, and the movie is a long title. The movie is called I Propose We Never See Each Other Again After Tonight. And it's a rom-com filled in, filmed in Winnipeg. Lots of Winnipeg, great Winnipeg scenes, Winnipeg actors. And uh, the reviews are very good on the movie. And it is now available on video on demand everywhere. Hal Anderson Afternoons. Hal Anderson, the 34th greatest Canadian of all time. We appreciate your visit always, pal. Talk to you. Thank you. Talk to you next Wednesday, if not right. before. Kayla Evans. Global News Morning Weather Specialist. I called you weather expert earlier, Kayla. Is that okay? Yeah. You know what? I answer to most things these days. <laughs> well, fair enough. Thanks for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Now, Kayla is, in fact, in the same building, but we're doing our best to keep our distance from one another. So she's back in the television studio speaking to us on her phone. I think that's a very creative way to make sure that we don't interact too much, Kayla. But uh, tell us about the uh, short and then the longer term forecast. What are we going to see for the next few days and why are we seeing it? Oh my gosh, you guys, this is almost, I don't want to say too good to be true because there's a lot of people that really want, you know, the snow and the cold and they're they're ready to do their winter sports and stuff like that outside. Um, But we remain for a lot of communities, five to 10 degrees above average. Most of us around the region between zero and five degrees today. Uh, As we get through the overnight, we're still about five degrees above the average low. Um, pretty close to zero, really, as we do wrap up this work week tomorrow and then head into the weekend. Next work week as well, we're looking at positive temperatures. So um, really the first half of this entire month, we are sitting under a very mild weather pattern. But most models and most reports into the long, long range uh, are kind of saying, like, enjoy this while we have it if you're a fan of the mild conditions. Because once we kind of hit that second half of the month, um, we're looking at colder weather. Oh, we lost Kayla. What, what happened there? Well, you know what? I kind of feel like we cut her off at the best time. Actually, I, she was I, about I, to tell us it was going to be colder than normal, which is what meteorologists have been warning us about for a month, that not, not just going to be cold, no surprise in Manitoba for the winter, but colder than normal. So we lost that call just when she was about to give us the bad news. We can just stick. Let's just pretend the world exists for the next five days of enjoyable temperatures. Can I make a f- confession? I cut her off purposely. <laughs> Kayla, are you still there? <laughs> Can you guys hear me at all? I have had a heck of a hard time with my technology this morning. Oh, we can hear you perfectly. Oh, I just did. That's when, funny. When you, you did st- it on purpose. Yeah, when you start talking about cold weather, I cut you off. I'm sorry. I just, oh, I just man. love the way things are going right now. It's, <laughs> it's such a nice break. I always have this philosophy: the longer. We can go without snow on the ground. The longer we can go without a deep freeze, it just makes the winter feel so much shorter. But I do feel for my friends that like to ice fish, that like to get out on those snowmobiles, people that are building the outdoor rinks in their backyards, I really do feel for them. So, Kayla, as you were saying, we're anticipating some colder weather. Can you give us a a general date of when that might arrive? Yeah, most 
most models and most experts, we're going with the second half of the month. So that's when we're looking at cooler air moving in. Uh, and then, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to stay pretty chilly as we move through January and February as well. So uh, maybe when we're in the middle of the deep freeze in February, we're going to be thankful that we didn't have to deal with it in December for as long as we usually have to. For me, it's not about the temperature this time of year, per se, Kayla. It really is just about seeing some white stuff, some snow for Christmas. So can we look that far down the road, or are we still a ways away from predicting how much precipitation we will see over the next month? Well, over the next five to seven days and kind of the shorter term, we're not actually seeing any snow. But most forecasts are saying that as we do move through this winter, um, we're going to see normal amounts of snow here in Manitoba. So pretty similar to what we've had really over the last couple of winters, if you will. Um, But it doesn't look like we are seeing any sort of snow, really, at least over the next five to seven days. Well, that's all we can ask for is uh, your prognostication and your expertise (laughs) over the next several days. We won't hold you to anything longer than that, but uh, that's what the models are telling you. So you are just uh, sharing with us the information you're given. Kayla, thanks for this, and uh, we appreciate you very much. Thanks for uh, staying on the other side of the building. It's it's very sweet of you. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for having me, you guys. A group that's very important to us. There are so many people in need this time of year, Loren. But because of COVID, there are only so many ways to help. Yeah, you can't necessarily drop off gifts or donations in the same way you might have in years past, but that doesn't mean you can't give in other ways. As Silo Mission writes on its website, this year may look a little different, but we're still counting on your support to help us provide hot meals and warm clothes to those experiencing homelessness this winter. And how they used to count on us is the event known as Fill the Frightliner, the giant semi that would be filled with all sorts of goods they can't do it the same way this year, but it is still happening. And to tell us how, we're joined by Luke Deason, Communications Manager for Salem. Good morning, Luke. Hey, good morning. Before we get into the event and, and how you're doing this, can we just talk a little bit first about the needs you're seeing uh, at this time of year? What are your clients telling you when it comes to how things are going for them out on the streets of Winnipeg and when they come back into your shelter? Yeah, it's uh, certainly a, a very, very different um, landscape this year than than any other year <laughs> uh, at this time, you know, as we get into December. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge is that, um, you know, people are spending a lot more time um, isolated inside with that <clears throat> same group of people. The, the, the way that we deliver our services has changed so much. So, where normally this time of year, yeah, we'd be doing this big clothing drive this year. It's, uh, there are different expenses, different concerns um, that we're worried about on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Luke, you must have something we, we've, of course, done in the past, our Knickers and Kickers initiative with you folks. But what is your area of greatest need right now? Uh, right now, the thing that we are, are handing out the most, you know, aside from financial donations, is um, uh, hygiene items and um, and ongoing food donations um, or things to, to help with uh, bagged lunches. Is that need greater? Now, I'm just trying to picture in the sense of, you know, you, there might have been a scenario where people would see somebody on the street and offer them some money or you might bring a meal to somebody if you walked by them and they were maybe somebody who was regularly uh, panhandling or just, you know, living out on the street. And because so much has changed, even just how, how we try to help or the things that you might want to do to help someone in need, you just can't 
do it the same way. So when it comes to just that very basic hunger and the clothes that they're looking for, what are they telling you in terms of just the challenges to, to, to eat on a regular basis? Yeah, in a lot of ways, the challenges are the same. You know, people are still looking to meet those, those same mm-hmm. basic needs, but we just have to do them in a different way. So um, for us, that looks like uh, instead of having, you know, for uh, over 400 people every day um, come inside for a meal uh, at Siloam, where, you know, we can only have that, that small group um, who we have staying in our shelter. Um, but that means we're handing out a lot of stuff through our front door. Uh, it's a lot of bagged meals, um, but it's also, you know, finding ways to, to still um, give, give hope and give opportunity to people who, even though we can't bring them inside and, um, and have them, you know, utilizing all those services in person. That's, that's the tricky thing. So for us, it's just being available, um, you know, even though that touch point is a lot, lot more limited um, to listen and to, um, to find ways to meet people's needs despite a challenging situation. So the initiative is called Fill the Freightliner, and even the way we conduct this initiative has changed, uh, Luke. So uh, tell us how this normally works, and then maybe you can uh, direct us to the way we're going to do things this year. Some uh, tremendous corporate support for this event. Yeah, absolutely. So normally uh, at this time of year, we'd have one day uh, in December where we would be uh, out on a Saturday at Boston Pizza um, on Keniston. And I think over the years, we went from um, having one Freightliner truck that we're trying to fill to having two because people's support has been so incredible. Um, and we'd be filling up that truck uh, with Freightliner with um, with all kinds of warm clothing and things to get us through the winter. Of course, this year, that's exactly the kind of thing we can't do. Um, and our, our clothing programs are, are uh, suspended. They're, they're changed in, in a lot of ways. So uh, we're not able to collect them, but um, we do still have that need. So um, we're asking that people uh, help make this um, the biggest fundraising year for Freightliner that we've had by donating online um, so that we have uh, a little extra cash to help meet that need through the winter. And if I understand it right, um, the folks with you on this are going to match donations or at least provide up to tens of thousands of dollars, if I'm reading this right, Luke. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the folks at Transolutions Trek Centers, they, they're the, um, used to be Freightliner Manitoba, mm-hmm. um, are, are matching the first 25 grand. Um, so we're, uh, we're hoping to, to blow past that and, and have a huge total when we reach the end of this um, in, in just over a week. Luke, can I ask you, you talked about, you know, just trying to hand out the bags and uh, food and trying to keep people warm at this time of year and some of Winnipeg's most vulnerable. But like the rest of us, there's also a loss of that camaraderie that they would have found at the shelter by maybe able to come inside and share that meal at a table with someone. And so I'm curious what you've noticed in terms of just the isolation they might also be feeling or their sense of loneliness or even their mental health might be further impacted with COVID and just the inability to meet like they normally would have. Yeah, that, that absolutely. Um, that is a, a huge concern. And that was one of the biggest things we were seeing at the beginning of the pandemic as people got used to this new normal with a lot fewer people around them if they were someone who is staying in shelter. And for those who aren't, um, you know, that they're, they're having to find ways to stay safe out on the street and using, using other services as a walk-up service. So 
Um, I, as the pandemic has gone on, um, we've seen within our shelter, um, you know, some people have gotten used to it and they, and they appreciate that they're, that, um, you know, we're doing everything we can to keep them safe. Uh, but it, it wears on a person's mental health. Uh, you know, we all have felt that in some way, no matter what our, our situation has been through this pandemic. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's significant. So we're doing what we can, but, but we certainly uh, feel the, um, you know, feel that pain um, just as anybody in our community does. Well, I'm going to give out the website one more time, siloam.ca forward slash Freightliner. You can make a donation there. And our partners at Trans Solutions Truck Centers will be matching donations all the way up to $25,000. This is something we've been doing with Power 97, Peggy at 99.1, Global News Television. And uh, it's usually one of the highlights of December to gather at Boston Pizza and see all our wonderfully generous listeners and to meet them in person and to do it for a great cause. Uh, I guess we'll have to put pause on that, at least in the face-to-face sense, Luke, but we look forward to a very successful initiative online. We wish you luck on this, and we'll we'll catch up with you again and get an update as we make our way closer to the 13th. Yeah, thanks so much. Looking forward to it. All right, Luke Thiessen does great work. He's the communication manager at Siloam Mission. Loren? I just think, you know... <laughs> I, as we're talking to Luke, and you talk about just basic needs like food and clothing and, and warmth and heat and shelter as we head into this winter for Winnipeg's homeless community, you, you also have to talk about the need to be their friend, right? We're all missing our friends right now, and I feel for them. You know, I've been in that shelter several times when they come in and sit at those tables and, and have coffee, and maybe it's just a smile that is exchanged, not even words. And so all those little things that are missing add up in a pretty big way. So at the very least, if they can give back with some basic needs, let's do it. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.